and welcome to Alia's Corner. I'm your host, Alia Rajan. Join me in a safe place to discuss stereotypes, adversity, misconceptions, debunking myths, and much more. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Now I'm a little nervous as this is my first podcast. However, I'm very excited for all of you to accompany me as we embark on this journey of normalizing discussions around taboo topics. I have a lot of inspiring guests planned and look forward to meeting them all. To begin my podcast journey, I have a very special pilot episode for you. To start, I want to share a little bit about me and where I come from. I'm originally from East Africa and immigrated to Canada when I was seven. I am proud to call myself an African-Canadian Muslim. The main theme of my podcast is debunking stereotypes. I will have a special guest in each episode. We will talk about each other's experiences, the adversity we face, how we can benefit from those experiences, and ways to bring more awareness within our communities. First, I will define stereotypes. Then, my special guest and I will attempt to debunk them and shed light on some personal experiences. Stereotypes can cause many to face adversity and prejudice, which can have adverse effects. Today, we're going to start with a more personal topic, one that is closer to home for me, which is stereotypes about Islam and the adversity Muslims often face because of it. As I've already mentioned, I have a special guest here with me today. And to bring some suspense, you'll get to meet them in just a bit. So, first off, what are stereotypes? Here's a dictionary definition. In social psychology, a stereotype is an overgeneralized belief about a particular category of people. It is an expectation that people might have about every person of a particular group. Basically, it's a way to put people in certain categories that society has made and decided that they are supposed to be in that group based on their race, gender, skin color, background, etc. Okay, so now that we understand what stereotypes are, it's finally time to introduce my special guest. I'm so excited to have Farah Qasim, a proud Canadian Muslim, here with me today. She believes in taking her own experiences, reflecting upon them, and educating her three daughters. Thank you so much, Alia, for having me here today. I am thrilled to be here, and I really appreciate you inviting me onto your podcast to address a topic that I'm so passionate about. It's my pleasure. I'm so grateful to have you here. So, first off, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Of course. As you know, my name is Farah. I currently live in a small town in Ontario, Canada. I moved here from England about five years ago with my three daughters. I'm proud to call myself a Muslim, and though I come from Great Britain, I am now a proud Canadian as well. I teach my daughters to be proud of their faith, and although we live in modern society, it is important to remember our roots and be regular in our faith and stay true to ourselves. Thank you so much for that. I think that's enough preamble. We should get on to the nitty gritty stuff. Yes, let's do it. All right. So the first one is a lighter topic. Some believe if you are Muslim, you cannot identify as Canadian or American. I know you mentioned a bit about that earlier. Would you like to expand on it? For sure. That is a great one. First of all, I'd like to say in my opinion, that is false. Not only Muslims, but everyone is allowed to belong to more than one country or background. They can identify however they see it fits their identity. Let's say that someone is from Japan, but they live in Canada. 
and identify as both Japanese and Canadian. Is there anything wrong with that? No, of course not. Because you can belong to both your home country and the country you live in today. What's your opinion, Aya? Ah, uh, yes. Well, I can definitely echo what you've just said. I'll share my story about this one. I personally identify as Muslim, East African, and Canadian. How is that possible, you might ask? It's very possible, because my ancestors resided in countries within East Africa, and they all identified as Muslims. They grew up being taught that they are to follow the religion of Islam. So no one can tell them that, oh, you're African, so you must be African, not Muslim. And that's not just a story. It's an honest misconception that a lot of people have, even in this day and age. You can find numerous religions and faiths in East Africa. So just because you identify as East African doesn't mean you identify as Muslim. Yeah, so people would say that, oh, you're African. That's not a Muslim country. Well, first of all, Africa is not even a country. It's a continent. And there are over 50 countries that make up Africa. Okay. And second of all, what do you mean by Muslim country? What does that mean? There is no such thing as Muslim countries. Muslims can come from any part of the world, not just countries people define as Muslim countries, because the majority are Muslims. That may have been true hundreds of years ago when people rarely immigrated to new countries that they weren't born in. Countries like Pakistan, UAE and Syria. I know so many people that live under the misconception that Dubai is its own country. And I know that Dubai itself is considered a Muslim country to many people. Yes, I think you're absolutely correct. It's important to realize that society has painted a picture and we're here today to not only talk about that picture, but what we can do to build a more understanding community. In a perfect world, all cultures will be accepted and have a sense of belonging no matter where they live. Yeah. Society teaches us that people who are different than us should not be treated the same way. Society has taught us how to be ignorant because you know the phrase, ignorance is bliss. And honestly, I don't think it's everyone's fault that they are being ignorant because society has conditioned us to think and act a certain way. Society tells us that we don't need to learn about people who are different from us because it might take too much effort to understand others' cultures. I have a question. Well, then why are there so many different types of religions, cultures, and beliefs? If we are all meant to stick with the people who are like us, then why are there so many people who are different than us? More people are different rather than the same. There are more religions and cultures in this world than you can imagine, more than people are willing to admit. That's a good point you brought up, actually. Yes, I think societal norms play a huge role in all of our lives. Society has just carved its way into all of our lives and filled us with all these misconceptions and assumptions about other, and I do not think that's right. So yeah, Farah, I agree with you on that. Hmm, exactly. Okay, let's build on to that. So some people believe that if you are American or Canadian, you can't be patriotic or loyal to this country. They say that if you are Muslim, 
that means you can you come from Asia. So that means you are only allowed to be loyal and patriotic to your home country. What would you like to say about that? That is a good question. I actually did some research before coming onto your show today. Did you know that there are currently two members of the United States Congress who are Muslim American? And 5,896 members of the U.S. military who self-identify as Muslims? What does that mean? That is a clear example of Muslims who identify as American, who are patriotic and loyal to the United States. Being a politician in America does not mean you are solely American. Military people, soldiers, they are the people who are known to be the most loyal and dedicated to their country. So many of those military people and soldiers identify as Muslims, yet they are very loyal and dedicated to the United States. I don't know if there's any more to say about that. That is really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Anything else before we move on? I mean, what else is there to say about that? This stereotype has been debunked. You can be 100% loyal and patriotic to your home country and the country you currently reside in. No question about that. There should be no confusion. All right, thank you, Farah. So I think those first few questions were a little light, but now we are going to get into some deep stuff. And I know you must be very passionate about the following topics. So shall we get started? Ooh, yes, I'm excited. All right, so there's been a lot about this idea that Islam teaches us to oppress women and forces them into a subservient role. I'm sure you could give us some great insight on this topic. Oh, yes, for sure. I expected this one. So a common perception is that Muslim women are oppressed, discriminated against, and hold a subservient position in society, right? The role and status of Muslim women in society cannot be separated from the role of women in the larger society because women around the world of all races, religions, and nationalities face inequality on many levels. Muslim women alone, Muslim women are not alone in this. The Quran explicitly states that men and women are equal in the eyes of God and forbids female infanticide instructs Muslims to educate daughters as well as sons, insists that women have the right to refuse a prospective husband, gives women the right to divorce in certain cases, and many more examples like that. However, interpretation of gender roles specified in the Quran varies with different countries and cultures, and in the Islamic world, there exist principles and practices that subjugate and oppress women. For example, forced marriages, abductions, deprivation of education, restrict mobility, etc. Many contemporary women and men reject limitations put on women and reinterpret the Quran from this perspective. It is also important to understand that similar to other religions, People in position of power will sometimes use religion as an excuse to justify the oppression of women, and that is significant. The headscarf or hijab that Muslim women often wear is 
cited as an example of oppression. First of all, it is completely each woman's choice to wear the hijab or not. It is not forced onto them, and they have not been held at gunpoint and said that if you don't wear a hijab, you can't be called a Muslim anymore. There are so many Muslim women who don't decide to wear hijabs, and I believe that they should not be looked down upon for that. It is solely their choice, and no one except God or Allah can judge them on that. Though there are some exceptions to that, in some countries like Iran, say it is the law for a woman to wear a hijab, niqab, or burqa when they step out of the house. In other cases, some families may be very religious and insist their daughters have to wear a hijab. Many women choose to wear a hijab, niqab, or burqa on their own and do so for a variety of reasons, including a sense of pride in being Muslim, a collective sense of identity. Another measure of women's roles in Muslim society is leadership. Since 1988, eight countries have had Muslim women as their heads of state, including Turkey, Indonesia, Senegal, Kosovo, Kyrgyzstan, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and the Mauritius. Many Muslim countries, including Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia, have a higher percentage of women in national elected office than does in the United States. That sounds shocking, doesn't it? No, I agree that is shocking. Wow, a higher percentage of women elected in government roles, basically in those countries where Islam is the primary religion than in the US. I can sense that some Americans wouldn't like that statistic. Yes, I suppose. Well, there is one important topic I think we need to talk about before we go. Yes, yes. We need to talk about how Muslims are generally seen as terrorists and how Islam is apparently a religion that preaches, that preaches about terrorism and violence, right? Exactly. Of course, I am a Muslim for sure, so I'm already very passionate about this topic. I'm sure so many others can agree with me on that. See, growing up, I was always taught to be an ambassador of Islam. That is my job. It is my duty. I am here to spread awareness about Islam and debunk all the misconceptions, myths, and assumptions people have about us. First, let me say that there is no single religion that encourages violence or you cannot say this religion is violent. Each individual has autonomy over their own life, and it often has nothing to do with the religion they identify themselves with. Some people sincerely view themselves as Muslim who have committed horrible acts in the name of Islam. These people and their interpretation of Islam are rightly called extremists. They are a minority within Islam and the vast majority of Muslims reject their violence and believe that their interpretation is a distortion of the Muslim faith. Extremism is not unique to Islam though. Those people who call themselves Muslim do things like mass murder, bombing, and other horrible things I don't even want to talk about. Those people, like ISIS, have brought shame to our name. Although when other races commit unthinkable crimes, it is almost never associated with their faith or religion. On the other hand, 
If a Muslim were to commit any crime, their religion is the first thing brought to light. That's a good point. According to a 2015 study collected in 11 countries with significant Muslim populations, people overwhelmingly express negative views of ISIS. People are ashamed of acts done by people like ISIS. Another thing, Muslims are also subject to increased incidents of hate crimes. In 2014, there was an overall decrease in hate crimes in the United States. But the number of hate crimes targeting Muslims grew from 135 in 2013 to 154 in 2014. And this is most likely an underrepresentation of the number of Muslims targeted because the numbers reflect only those crimes reported to the police. Oh, and the thing about the beards. You know what I'm talking about. If you have a beard, you're often seen as a terrorist. Many Muslims are afraid to travel and to be and be judged in different parts of the world completely based off of their looks or their name. Ah, I know. That one gets my blood boiling too. I'm so sorry, but we are a little short on time. So as much as we could keep going on about this particular topic, it's time to wrap up. All right. I want to ask you before you go, what do you say we do about this? What can we do to educate the community and bring more awareness to these topics? I'm very glad you asked that. Firstly, I think that having interviews and podcasts like these, where we get to debunk these myths, stereotypes, and misconceptions is amazing. I think more people need to do these kinds of things. And I want to encourage others, not only Muslims, but other faiths too. If you witness others using these stereotypes and putting allegations on your community and labeling your religion, cultures, and beliefs in negative ways, I encourage you to speak out. I really appreciate you, Alia, for bringing me here today. I think this is a big step in rebuilding our Danish reputation as an Islamic community or Ummah. Something else that can be done is that we should not teach that we should teach more about stereotypes, bias, and discrimination in all forms, including religious bigotry. We should discuss different forms that bias and discrimination can take in personal interactions, school, the community, and the larger society. We can also help young people learn the different ways they can be an ally when they encounter bullying or bias that target Muslim students, both in person and online. Another thing that I suggest is to incorporate these experiences, perspectives, and words of Muslim people into the curriculum through social studies and current events instruction, children's literature, and learning about different cultures. When you teach about world religions, be sure to include Islam. In many schools and books, it seems that Christianity is the only religion and others aren't really discussed. All religions should be seen as equal and we should be more open to learning about each other's faiths, cultures, and beliefs. Yes, I strongly agree and again, I'm very thankful I was able to come here today and discuss these important topics with you. Thank you so much for that, Farah. And thank you again for making time out of your busy life to come and speak with me here. We might have been able to change some mindsets and plant some seeds here and there.
So, to our listeners, thank you for joining us today on Alia's Corner. I hope to see you next time. Be sure to check out our next episode coming soon. You will find out who our next special guest is and what they will be talking about at the start of our next episode. Until then, good night, listeners.